Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy, Mac. Tonight, I am joined by special guest Bob Schmidt of Fear the Fro podcast. Bob, how you doing, man? Good. Thank you for having me on, Mac. Excited to get back to basketball. <sighs> me too, man. I've, t- I've taken this break and I've tried to step away from social media because, you know, I'm just I'm in my phone constantly. I'm, I'm just doing way too much with with this content sometimes so it's this break is not just a break for for the nbaers it, it is truly a break for myself and you know other people such as yourself as well to just kind of you know take a step back and just reevaluate some things and in the uh in the mindsets of reevaluation i got some questions lined up for you tonight the first being heading into the second half of the season is there a specific area that you're hoping to see improvement from this cavaliers team in like they're seriously this team and and, and it, it's crazy to me because this team right now they have the second best defensive rating in the league they have the fourth best net rating since Darius and Evan have returned to the lineup on January 31st they have the fourth highest offensive rating they're sixth in rebounds they dish out the 10th most assists per game they make the 10th most threes per game they're just really fucking good so I know it sounds crazy to 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 just even ask what more you could want from this team but if there is an area of improvement where would it be at that you'd like to see I think uh, my answer would be similar to what a lot of people feel, which is that, you know, for all the accomplishments that we have and the numbers being as good as they are, there's still obviously places that you can look at from an individual standpoint where you say, okay, if we're performing this good offensively, defensively, if we're hitting this stride, and this is all coming without, you know, particularly great shooting splits from some of the higher usage guys on the roster, if even just you see a little bit better shooting from a, a Darius or a Struess or, and, and cause we're, we're winning and winning handily despite all that. And with those guys being part of some of our better lineups and, and putting forth good numbers from a team standpoint and the offense has gone the way that everybody kind of wanted to uh, before the season, everybody, you know, harps on, we need to take more threes, you know, and we've spread it out. We're taking shots from better spots on the floor. We're, moving the ball more. We're getting back to the dominant defense that we were last year. I think really the the most visible way that we could improve, it makes you wonder if we're playing this well already, what will it look like if Darius's shooting gets back to something, you know, more reminiscent of what we're used to seeing from him or even if Max gets on a hot streak for a while because it, outside of individual components of the team, it's hard to take issue with anything that's going on from a team perspective really. Yeah, I mean, you look at the numbers, right? The the numbers, they could get better in specific areas. You know, Darius has just returned to the lineup. He's just season in which could be considered a down year for him is still, you know, from a statistical standpoint, it's not terrible. 18.2 points, uh, 5.9 assists, shooting 47.1% from the floor. On the surface, that's like, okay, those are decent stats, but you can clearly tell based upon his play on the court that Darius isn't quite himself. And there are, you know, just as you indicated, there are small things like that from an individual standpoint that you can look to and say, hey, head into these latter 29 games on this season that you would like to see improve. You would like to see Darius get back to a similar form to where he was last year or even his all-star campaign. Um, you know, you would like to see shooting splits go up, like you mentioned, with Max Struess, perhaps, or George Niang, who we just had on. Um there are small areas like that for myself that I'm hoping to see an improvement on, but by and large as a team, I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm good. If we just stay where we are right now, if it never got any better than what we are seeing right now, this during the regular season, at least I think I would be okay. Like there, there, there are obviously areas where I would like to see them take a, a, a step forward or, or a progression, but as a team, uh, the team as a whole, I, I'm okay. Right now. Yeah, it's it's tough to argue results. Um, and, and I think, too, there's there's this balance that we have to strike in that one of the things with All-Star Break is since there's no games, you see kind of what the narratives become in terms of what people are unhappy about. And it's, and it's all <laughs> over the board over the course of the season. You know, it shifts depending on what's going right in other areas. But with Darius, you know, we wanted when he came back for him to kind of fall in line with this new, you know, dribble less move the ball more offense that we saw over that injury span and i think you can at least say take his individual box scores out of it and his individual shooting splits 
Uh, he is holding the ball less. I mean, I think there's ways he can improve. I think, um, you know, off ball positioning. Sometimes it feels like he's kind of drifting behind the play at times. Of course, the shooting from the corners and some of those things. But by and large, I'm willing to absorb the, you know, the individual numbers hiccup if I feel like he's making the right plays the majority of the time. And he's playing to the way that we said we we wanted him and Mobley to fall in line and kind of try to assimilate what we learned in that period into the way that they were playing. And I don't think you saw a hiccup. In fact, you could you could say that Mobley came back playing better. But Darius, I mean, he has it's it's a much higher usage, much much bigger role in terms of the ball's going to be in his hands typically more. So uh, if he's holding the ball less, if he's moving the ball, if the offense still continues to gel, and I don't think you've seen a step back from guys like one of the questions I had when those guys returned is how is this going to impact the dynamic of Donovan and Jarrett? Is it going to throw off the rhythm that they've built? And that hasn't happened at all really since they've come back. Both those guys have continued to be highly effective. I think Jarrett has stepped back even less than maybe I assumed he would have when everyone was back in the mix. So to me, it's more about, you know, playing this style of offense that we saw over that stretch. I'm willing to give Darius time to kind of round back into form because the fact that we're still winning as much as we are, despite those shooting splits and despite, you know, Max being a streaky shooter at times and despite George, you know, being in and out of, okay, good game, bad game, (laughs) couple bad games, couple really good games, uh, all that stuff we've been able to handle it so much better this year because so many of the other role guys are having, you know, career years from three, like a Coro or Dean Wade just continue to progress in that area, which gives us so much more license to have bad outings from some of the higher profile players than we ever had last season. Specifically in regards to Darius though, are you, are you actually confident that he'll start to return to more of that all-star form over these next 29 games? Or are you a little concerned based upon what you've seen? Because I know he's had one game since he's returned that he's cracked 20 points per game, but he's also had five games, if I'm not mistaken, with seven or more assists. Uh, you know, he's moving the ball, obviously. He's looking to set guys up and just kind of taking a step back and not trying to force the issue. And so I, I can... I, I feel okay and confident in saying that I do feel like he's going to return to form sooner or later, but are you at all concerned about that? Well, I think it's relative to, do I think he'll return to the numbers that he was doing necessarily last year? Maybe not. I don't know. With the ball in his hands more, being asked to play less, you know, ISO stuff, hero things, you know, even pick and roll if he's not doing that as much, I think you'll be hard-pressed to see him scoring as much. If we're asking him to take the ball out of his hands quicker, to make the the quicker reads, the quicker decisions, then maybe not. But uh, sometimes I think we lose sight of, I mean, the whole point is, you know, trying to win games. And I get it. There's a balance between when a guy's on a max contract, what you expect him to bring to the table, uh, or what you'd like to see from a box that's, score perspective. And that's the thing, man. Like, it, obviously, you know, just looking at from the fans' perspective, I've seen all the live long day. People say, oh, he's on this contract. He needs to be living up to this contract. He's not living up to it. Well, yeah, it, it comes with the territory when you sign that type of deal. But I think people have started to just lost patience, you know, just started to lose patience with with players and they need to understand how these things work. And so it, it is about finding that balance. But I just wanted to throw that in there because in reference to Garland, that's 99% of the time. That's all I'm seeing is, well, he's not living up to the contract. I, You know, and of course I hear that. And, and I don't think it's invalid by any means, but, but by the same token, it's like, what good is, what good would 25, 10 and five be? If we weren't winning games, sometimes I think you lose sight of the fact that it's like, okay, if this is a problem, if in the future we say, okay, we can't commit max dollars to a guy who's not giving us what his peak was prior to Donovan arriving in that breakout second half of the season, or even what he gave us last year with Donovan, which I don't believe, by the way, I do think he's just naturally going to climb up. His impact is going to be off the minutes restriction and with just slightly better shooting. I mean, he has improved in several areas this year His finishing around the rim very good. He's taking less mid-range shots. You have to like his shot profile more. I do think people need to give him a little grace to take a guy who was so ball dependent and then ask him to do as much with less usage, with less time dribbling the basketball. But ultimately, if it's in the pursuit 
of continuing this stretch of very good offensive Cavalier basketball, which we, I mean, we've always been built on this bedrock of defense. So to finally have signs that we can evolve on the other end of the floor too, which I think would vault this team into legitimate contender status, if that can prove to be sustainable with all the pieces we have and the improved depth. And I think people are losing sight of why does that even matter now? I mean, that's a concern to have at some point, sure. But it's not before we get to that point where we're looking at, you know, a re-up Donovan and a extension for Mobley and all those things. Like right now, okay, if Darius isn't earning the dollar for dollar value that we think he <laughs> needs to, but we're winning, you know, 18 games out of 20 or nine of our last 10, then who cares? I mean, just have some, and I do, I think a lot of it is the layoff. Like people have to look for stuff to be upset about to some degree. Um, but I don't think it's necessary. It's not the way that I want my fan experience to go necessarily. I mean, it, it is not the way I choose to look at things. I consider myself one of the more optimistic fans out there, but I don't give I don't give a damn, you know, what the stats look like if we're winning 18 to 20 and we're having stretches like this where we're winning eight or nine games in a row. I, I really could care less. You know, obviously you want to see those numbers look good in addition to the winning, but as long as it's contributing to the winning, you know what I'm it okay. is. It's like it's like the school project where I just latched onto the people who are overperforming. And if we get an A on the group project, nobody gives a shit what I did in that span. Like, <laughs> yeah. What is your contribution? Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't show. At the end of the year, you got an A. You know, at the end of the year, you got an A on that. Um, that said, just in the same line of thought, who is the player with the most approved post All Star break? Is it Garland? Is it Max? Is it Niang? Or is there another? I, I still think it's Mobley. I think the early returns are great since he's returned. But in the sense of, like, who has the most to prove, to me, you know, the future decisions always factor into that. The thing with Darius is uh, he has stuff to prove to fans. He has nothing to prove to the front office because he's already being paid. Like, in a sense, the pressure is off of him. Uh, whether he returns to form or not, his role here and his future here is solidified, at least for the short-term future. And not to say either of those other guys are at risk of going anywhere, but with Mobley and Okoro, Okoro especially, I mean, he's got six months till decisions have to be made and to drive up a market for him to try to set himself up for the best possible future. Plus, last year, he kind of got a raw deal. I mean, he was playing great basketball, got derailed by the injury, went into that that Nick series. And obviously we had a lot of other problems. So it kind of got lost amongst a series of failures by us. But uh, I didn't think that the Akora we got there was, I, I thought people kind of forgot about the fact that this is a guy who's just coming right back from injury. And this the last two weeks of the season, yeah. if I'm not and, mistaken. And in that span, he was playing so good. So I think he has a lot to prove um, just because I think he can prove to be a, a huge contributor in a postseason series where he's fully healthy uh, and continuing this momentum that he's got. I mean, just, just the way he's been playing in that stretch where he and Dean were starters. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And even in a reduced role for these guys where their minutes have been cut by, you know, eight, 10 minutes of games at time for, for Dean or a Coro uh, for them to keep up the consistency with the shooting and, and not be knocked off rhythm. Uh, it's very impressive. I think so, too. I mean, you look at specifically in regards to Mobley, he's obviously ag averaging the highest three-point percent of his career on low volume, right? Uh, 10 of 24 on this season. But, man, since he's come back, he's he seemed to, 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 to play with a little bit more free reign out there, especially in regards to that three-point mark where if you leave him open, he is now a threat to pull up, and I love to see him doing that at least once or twice a game now. Now, I guess my question in regards to that is, is that sustainable? Do you think he will continue to do that as the season goes on and into the postseason? Well, I think him taking them is a thousand percent sustainable. I mean, to ask for him, you know, in February, he's shooting 62% from deep to ask him to sustain that. On high volume, but no, of course, I don't think that's sustainable. I think it'll <laughs> go back more towards the mean. But the but part of the reason I said I think he has the most to prove is because the scrutiny is the highest on him. Uh, he gets the most attention from the outside media. And for him to come back in this stretch and have a just a showcase game against Victor Wembanyama, And during this stretch, just in the month of February, he's second in the league, true shooting percentage-wise, of guys who have over 20% usage and are playing more than 25 minutes a game. 
it's the only the only and Donovan Mitchell, by the way, is seventh in that stat. So it's he's been playing an incredibly efficient section of basketball, regardless of what the counting stats show. And that's most of the frustration, I think, for those of us who watch the Cavs on a night in night out basis is he's taking bullets for counting stat sins when you can look at what he's done out there and he's gotten better from the free throw stripe. He seems to have gotten more decisive. Uh, better at finishing. He's still great at finishing around the rim. And if he's even just willing to adapt to this, you know what? Be the most aggressive version of yourself as possible. Like Kobe Altman was saying it in that post-trade deadline media availability that he gave that all they want from these guys is the barometer is not numbers. The barometer is be the most aggressive, decisive form of yourself. And we think good things will happen. And I definitely think that we've seen that from Mobley. I think it's a little easier for him to get dropped back in and pick up where he, he left off from Darius. But I don't I don't think necessarily anybody should expect the percentages to sustain, but even the fact that he's willing to take them. I mean, before the injury, I think he had shot, I don't know, like 13, 14 free, like three-point attempts all the way yeah. up until the injury. And for him to come back and already have knocked down just eight over this short stretch here, it's great. It's a great development whether the percentage should sustain or not and just just the fact that he's showing that oh he he's mostly being used in kickouts and set shots on those three pointers but for him to be knocking those down confidently uh take out the you know numerical bump it's giving his statistical profile it just opens things up so much more for everyone else if it proves to be a viable threat in that sense, do you think that that could potentially help alleviate some of the issues in, in regards to staggering of minutes? Because that's what uh, that that's what this seems to be trending towards doing, especially when you have Isaac and Dean playing as well as they are now, and you can throw out some of these different lineup combinations. Do you think Mobley being a more willing participant in taking those shots kind of lessens the, uh, the the pressure to stagger the minutes of Mobley and Allen? I think it will. Um, but I think on the other side of that too, is that the bench has been so damn good, uh, that it's, it's hard to argue that they may not be the high profile guys on the roster, but their minutes have been so positive that I almost think of that as an independent problem of, if you want to call it a problem of what Evan Mobley is doing, it's, it's, it's that if you have the luxury of being able to play these guys together, but you're not losing much when you do stagger them, then that's a, that's a great problem to have if uh, if you want to call it that so i do think any development from evan on that end of course it helps massively and it would be great to have a floor spacer who's also the level of defender that evan mobley is but it's nice knowing that okay just a a moderate step down defensively to a still very high-end defender in dean wade will get you a mere 40 percent three-point shooter on the season and it will be able to spell you in those times where those guys can't play or during the stretch where they're on minutes restrictions or if god forbid you know allen or mobley go down with another injury of some sort you know, let's not, not even put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> let's not even put that out there. there's a handful of guys on this roster i'm like well shit man i, I really want to see them get more run but i understand why they're not and in that line of thought is there one specific five-man rotation that you want to see more of? Substitution, rotation, lineup, whatever you want to. That's that's a <laughs> that's a, that's a screw up right there. But is there a five-man lineup that you want to see more of in the second half of the season? Well, I'm. I mean, this is an easy answer. This is a lob uh, as far as the numbers kind of support it, and it was fun to see it. I love that stretch when when Dean and Isaac. We're playing alongside of one another so much. I I like seeing the small ball situation where we bring in Mobley to get to see him alongside a lineup that would have a Dean and a Coro, a Max, and either of the guards. Uh, I like that trio of wings just getting to see. I want to see more of, okay, what can those guys do together as we go along here? Because it, it gets you, you know, two high-end defenders on the wings alongside Mobley. And then it allows us to see what Max does with that extra facilitation that he brings that maybe you don't get as much of it from a Coro, uh, but that's what allows you to, you know, we get into these debates about, oh, should a Coro replace Max or whatever in the starting lineup over these last couple of weeks? And it's like, well, Max does bring one thing that we can all acknowledge, whether his shooting is there or not. And that's his ability to, to make the right reads in the offense and get some of the other people involved. So those are the lineups I kind of look forward to seeing because being deprived of Garland and Mobley for so long, we know what we have in a Mitchell Allen, you know, spread 
situation. We have a ton of minutes. We've logged more minutes just in this stretch now than a lot of those lineups logged the entire last season. So we have a fairly good sample of that stuff. What we get to see now with Mobley back in the fold and off this minutes restriction is, okay, what are we going to see with him as the focal point of a small ball lineup? And now that we have, you know, better bench performance, better wing depth, what can we get in these iterations with, you know, Max, Isaac, Dean, Max, Isaac, George, uh, you know, Lavert playing small ball or, you know, a long two and then a Coro and Max in the front court. Like I like having all those iterations of being able to juggle around the wings uh, and see who can complement Evan in those secondary units. The ones that kind of start the second quarter and take over after Jared Allen goes down for the first time. I like that idea. I hope we do get to see more than I, I think a lot of that obviously comes down to JB, but some of it may be more game dependent. Some of the game flow type of stuff that dictates that, but yeah, I would like to see that. Um, and you know, you mentioned that we kind of know what we have here and I guess that's a good segue into my next question here. Um, is, you know, are, were you satisfied with the Cavs not making a move at the trade deadline? And this is really a multi-parter that, you know, that first. And then what are your thoughts on both the Craig Porter Jr. deal as well as handing the two-way to Pete Nance? Uh, well, as far as the trade deadline goes, I was totally fine with not making a trade. <laughs> mainly, mainly because all the trades that we were hearing rumored would have, if there was a trade that could have been done using some combination of Damian Jones and, and uh, Ty Jerome, fine. Uh, but it didn't seem like that was something that was going to look to materialize. And even if it had, the type of player that it brought back, I don't think it's a guarantee he would have even cracked the ninth or 10th man spot. Um, and that's the thing. It's There's no point burning assets for somebody who isn't a definitive upgrade in the rotation. And to me, all those discussions about guys like Royce O'Neal, who has half a season left before he hits free agency, so no guarantee that he's here long-term. Regardless of how people are upset when George goes on a hot or cold streak, to have a shooter of his caliber locked up for three years at that price, that to me was a lateral move at best. I didn't support it, but even the people who aren't keen on George because of his defensive limitations, I think you take the guy who's a known commodity and who every year has been pretty consistent from out there for the next two years after this as well. So I I was only of the mindset that a trade makes sense if it brings you a definitive upgrade at a position, not a guy who you could get to the postseason to. Like last year when we had Osmond. Osmond played this role all the time where it's like, okay, <laughs> he's getting DNPs. I, don't, mm -hmm. I didn't want to recreate that situation where we gave up assets for someone and all of a sudden we're wondering why certain games – they don't even get onto the court. We already had, and that. it would still be Kobe's fault. The fans would, you know, they would be happy with the trade, and then if they get DNP'd because they either can't craft the rotation or are just stinking it up, fans would be mad at Kobe either way. So it's yeah. like a, a lose lose situation. Well, and now what you, the second part you talking about Craig Porter Jr. I mean, I think we all felt like that was an inevitable outcome once they yeah. burned through most of his two-way available games or around the after the trade deadline essentially when we knew that we didn't need to keep the open roster spot for trade flexibility then yeah he immediately got converted i think everybody's happy about that i'm curious how long before people start complaining if he's not logging minutes uh because that's the tough part is you have between merrill and george and now craig porter jr you have three guys well i should say you have two guys for some reason uh, clearly Sam and Craig seem to be more beloved by the fan base than George, uh, universally anyway. Uh, but those three guys are all going to be guys that on a night to night basis, who knows what their minutes are going to be. Right. You know, they, like I think George gets the veteran edge with JB, but with the way Dean's playing, there's going to be times where those two essentially are eating off of each other's minutes. And Craig is, whether he's on a guaranteed contract or not, he's still essentially in the same position he was in terms of, logging minutes unless an injury happens. So uh, as far as Pete, Pete Nance, I was a big fan of them picking somebody of his kind of archetype, somebody who, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it, like a, a developmental Dean type role, like a space. <laughs> yeah, I like role. it. I like it. Where, you know, maybe we don't need him right away, but you're hedging against the future. You know, you're hedging against a situation where we've got, two more years of Dean after this, who knows what his development's like. Maybe he'll always be redundant in some capacity, but I did not think we needed to address guards really all that much. We had plenty of those and we're bringing Craig up. Uh, you know, we have another available to us 
on a night in night out basis. While I don't think there's any real path for Pete to get on the floor much outside of blowouts at the same, at the same point, I like having him as some sort of safety net archetype type player of a stretch big that we can have behind a Dean and a George. Yeah, I for me, I was very, very happy with the signing. Just because one, you're doing right by the Nance family. <laughs> you know, it's always it's always a good thing, right? It's good faith, in my opinion. And I I kind of felt like this is the direction it was trending in the whole time with it. We knew Craig was going to get converted. It was only a matter of time. Of all of the two-way prospects prior to him being converted, he was the most pro-ready, right? But that still, like you said, does not mean he's likely to see the floor on a consistent basis outside of maybe rest, a blowout, or you know, maybe a, a severe rash of injuries at the guard spot, which, you know, God forbid, again, let's knock on wood here, but, you know, that's there's no real path two minutes for either of these guys, but I was really, really excited about that one just because I like the, the archetype. I like the fact that he can space the floor. He can block some shots. He's a little clumsy out there, uh, but he, he's got some traits that you can build off of. And so I, I am genuinely hoping to see more of the two ways, uh, you know, whether that be Isaiah, who's only appeared in three games this season, which is crazy. You know, well, once we lock up this two seed, you know, we can do what we did last year at the end of the year. Just have a few games at the end of the year where we can showcase all of the two-way guys, let them play 35 minutes. Who cares what the results are? That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the I more think that's, we can do that in, the better it means the second half of this season went. Exactly. I, I think that's exactly the direction that we are heading in here. You know, hopefully that is the case because I'd love to see all three of those guys get actual reps uh, because I just feel like, especially for Isaiah, because I've now – watched isaiah for two seasons in the g league and i'm like okay if there was ever a time to see what this man could is going to eventually turn into or what he can be find him some reps at some point three games to me just seems ridiculous <laughs> um and i, I understand tough sledding for understand this guy. Why. yeah it yeah. is um that said let's kind of shift gears here for a moment and talk about the postseason because that that season, you know, that, that series last year was just dreadful at points. And it's left a sour taste in not only the national media's heads and minds, but uh, the, the the fan, right? The, the, the average typical casual viewer for the Cavaliers just shares the, the mindset that none of this means anything in the regular season. Uh, they have to prove it in the playoffs, right? And so in that line of thought, is there a particular matchup you want to see this Cavs, uh, this Cavs team come to across the playoffs? Uh, I, I mean, I want the Knicks I, because I assume that means we're in either the two or three spot. Plus, I do think one of the most frustrating things, and anybody who's listened to my pod can tell, I'm clearly I've got rabbit ears when it comes to, uh, you know, national media slights. Uh, and the biggest thing propping those up right now is uh, our performance in the playoffs last year. So regardless of how successful we are right now, there's a certain amount of validity that we will never achieve unless we, you know, expel some of those demons from the past. So to me, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to get a back-to-back a -back where, okay, we get Miami round one or the Knicks round two. Now, I'm not going to complain if we get more preferential matchups. And I know there's a lot of people who feel don't ask for a team like Miami. Of course not. I mean, they're tested. They have a great coach. Uh, this is a team with playoff experience. They always play better than what their actual roster may appear that they should be capable of. Um, but there, I think there's also something on the other side of that. I do think of the teams projected to win over 50 games, Miami is 1-12 against those teams. And the one win that they have was against our team. So uh, I, I would love to beat them because I think – we could this year, and I think it would go a long way to kind of building up that resume of this isn't the same team. Now, that being said, I would not complain about situations where we draw a lesser experienced Orlando or Indiana team in that first round. But as far as second round matchups go, give me the Knicks because I do not want the Celtics. Uh, while I do feel somewhat confident that the Bucks of the past are not the Bucks that we're seeing so far this year. They obviously have that factor of just one transcendently awesome player that makes it very difficult to overcome uh, in a series. So I wouldn't bet against them, uh, but I would want the Knicks just because I don't think 4-1 really reflected even what that series was last year. Now, we failed 
on a multitude of fronts. And even still, after that collapse, we were the best defensive team in the playoffs. That was just a, a massive failing on so many fronts that I don't think, some I think, obviously, are directly correlated with how the Knicks were able to impose their will defensively. But some of it I just think is outlier bad showings by some of the shooters on our team. And I think our bench is massively better. I think that will make a big difference. And just to be able to finally put an end to some of these New York-based media members who seem to think <laughs> there's a chasm between the Cavaliers and the Knicks, I want that. And maybe it's, maybe it's foolish confidence on my part, but I don't think the result would be anywhere close to what it was last year, despite the fact that I do believe the Knicks are a better team than they were last year, assuming, you know, Mitch is healthy and OG's healthy and, and Julius is healthy by the playoffs. Uh, I, I believe the Cavaliers have gotten distinctly better despite not as many high-profile top-end moves on the roster. The development from up underneath and the bench play that we're getting and just the internal growth, I think, makes this a far more formidable opponent than the Knicks saw last season. I really, when it comes down to that series, you know, we know what the flaws were. We know why the team lost. And I do think a lot of the things that you suggested, are, you know, all of them are completely valid in terms of being outliers. Right. And I think that Kobe went out and he addressed what we needed this offseason. I feel like we're going to see that payoff. Um, but specifically for me, just in reference to this question, I got to see him play the Knicks. <laughs> I don't care where it comes. Uh, I got to see them face off with this Knicks team because for one, it's just, it's good for basketball. In my opinion, having a rematch like that, it would all ton of headlines. You know, the NBA would be, the media would eat it up. They'd be all over it. And I do feel like it would be very, very competitive, but it is a series that I feel like Cleveland can come out in. I no disrespect to the Knicks. I do feel like they are a, an improves, uh, improved team this season considering the moves that they have made, but we know a lot of that stuff still has to pan out, right? You still do have to get these guys healthy and they have to gel and you got to figure out rotations and stuff like that, but I got to see him play the Knicks uh, just, just so we can put to bed these narratives and so I can just stop here Knicks fans all the time. It's annoying. <laughs> well, I think I think we all fall in line in the same same regard. I, I mean, I do think they made some impressive moves. I was not a believer in Dante and what he's done this year uh, is super impressive, especially in this stretch where these guys have been out with injuries. I don't love OG being able to, you know, chase Donovan or Darius all over the court and dog them. I don't love any of those things, but I'm I'm fairly confident that Julius is just a playoff no show most of the time and that that may not change. Uh, and RJ was one of their highlights last year. So really with him out of the, out of the mix, I, I just think this team is much better equipped from a depth standpoint, from a confidence in the shooting that they've added from the movement shooting that they've had it from the counters that they have that maybe they didn't in being able to kind of key in on our more hero ball type players last year. I don't think the offense is the same. And I think that's a big part of the reason why we need to give Darius grace here is because we're trying to build an offense that you can't scheme against in the way that the Knicks did last postseason. Uh, so if it's all in pursuit of actually doing what everyone says, which is none of this matters unless we show up in the playoff, <laughs> then maybe, maybe just chill on destroying Darius right now because he's not shooting particularly well. He's definitely trying to assimilate into what we're all hoping will be a more dangerous offense in the postseason. Uh, yeah, I think we're all hoping for the same thing in that regard. I'm trying to be patient. I urge fans to be patient, but we all know that's not the strongest suit for fans. Uh, not the strongest virtue, man. Uh, in that line, I thought here's your chance to either be a homer or not be a homer. I have to ask you this. I've been meaning to ask you this for a while. Honestly, do you view this team as a potential championship contender? No. This year. No, no, I don't. And it, I mean, <laughs> I, I think it would be a massive victory if the Cavaliers get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I would be completely content with that. Um, but again, you know, the crazy thing is we're a year and a half into Donovan Mitchell and it feels like, you know, a decade in some ways. And maybe that's because, you know, when you're creating content and watching all the games and all that and just in the in the material all the time it seems like a much larger sample than it is. But truthfully, to make a kind of leap from what we saw last year, which is blow away every expectation in the regular season and then disappoint in the postseason to coming back 
learning something about ourselves set against horrible circumstances of those injuries in mid-December, completely reinventing the offense without a massive regression on defense. And to make the roster moves we had last summer with limited ability to do much. I mean, we had essentially exceptions to work with and we were able to address multiple things. And then to go into this summer with a first round pick and and with another exception, it 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 sets up for just what's a much more natural progression. It's very rare that you see a team, you know, just add somebody and immediately it clicks and they're in the finals. So if we got to a conference finals, I'd feel great about that. As far as championship contender, there are some monsters in the Western Conference. And we're going to see a lot of them. You know, we're going to get our first crack to see the Timberwolves and some of these other teams. But to assume um, that we won't face some bad matchups, that we won't be exposed in some certain ways, uh, I think is a bit naive. I think if we can come out of it looking competitive in all the series as far as we go, if we made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, I would be stoked. That would be a massive win as far as I'm concerned. Because right now the over-under, I mean, the over-under before the season, I want to say was like, 47 and a half wins based on how we've performed now it's up to almost it's 54 and a half wins so we're already outperforming what people expected and we did that without two of our core players and yes obviously the postseason is what matters to people but i think so much of what was revealed in that injury stretch was you know what maybe this is something that isn't contingent on just the core four players uh maybe we actually have more of a semblance of a you know quote-unquote team or offense here and, and a lot <laughs> less a lot less isolation heavy dependency when we get to the postseason yeah there's not an over-reliance on the core now we're getting good returns from a cavalier bench that just at points last season it was just dreadful and obviously you have some new additions there you have guys who have been able to slide into more I mean, natural role, you know, you have Isaac Okora, who started much of last season, is now off that Cavalier bench, and he just looks like he's playing a hell of a lot more free. He's playing confident basketball, and as a result, he's averaging some career numbers across the board. You look at a guy like Karis Levert, who is not constantly having his role shifting and can just know exactly where his minutes or where his role is going to be on a night-to-night basis, and I feel like he is also playing a lot more free. I know the percentages for him – could be better, but his impact is as high as ever. You well, added yeah. a shoot. Yeah. You, you, you added very a, difficult shots. So it, he's always been a difficult shot maker. And that's what's, you know, it's what's so appealing from just a visual aspect of his game. If you're, even if you're not a fan of the Cavaliers, watching him play basketball can be equal parts frustrating, but it can be exhilarating as well because of some of those difficult shots. Now imagine um, if he just shot at the end of quarters, his percentage would be like always. a thousand. He's always knocking down those timely buzzer beaters. At least that hasn't left him. No, and uh, I think that is something that could definitely help the Cavs come to playoffs when you need when things kind of break down and you need more shot creators than ever, right? Um, and then you look at what players like Niang and Wade have brought to the table in regards to gravity and spacing. Um, and then the unexpected production you're getting from Sam Merrill, who fans are clamoring for more of, but unfortunately there's just probably not a path to as many minutes as fans would like to see for him. Um, and so this, this bench has been wonderful. There's not an over-reliance on that core anymore. And that's great. Um, speaking of that though, because I know that some players who are deserving of minutes are not going to be included in the playoff rotation. It just, it is, it's how it goes honestly, on the season. And so I guess my next question is, if the season ended today, who would be in your nine-man playoff rotation? Well, um, assuming Dean is healthy, I think for me, I would probably, I mean, it would be between two guys that lose minutes, and that would be George or Sam. Um, and I, it's just Sam was such a revelation in that time that he was gone that I would hope that we, if we had to drop somebody out of the rotation, Dean could just absorb more and we could go away from George. Do I think that'll happen? No, I do think there's a, a, an inherent trust from JB with a veteran in George. And I think, you know, one of the things I liked about your interview with him, by the way, was, you know, it wasn't, it was the second question. And you were like, why so many texts, George? What, <laughs> I had to ask him that. I had to ask. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that to, to that end, while I sometimes get frustrated with the texts that George and Max get, clearly beyond just what they do on the court, they have a veteran presence uh, and role with this team that 
you know, goes beyond just the numbers. And obviously Sam is more in that phase of his career where he's just establishing himself now. Um, I think that's yet to be seen. So if, if somebody had to be dropped from the rotation, uh, I would. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. I guess I would hope it's George, but I don't even, I'm not even a George hater. I like him. Um, I, I think sometimes people are too critical of like, yeah, is he a great defender? No, but he's strong. I mean, he absorbs, like, you remember the game against the Clippers? There was times where Harden thought he was going to go through him, and George just walled up and took that shit, and he bounced right off of him. So George don't take no shit, man. That's that's what I love about him. And that's it put me in such a weird spot when I was just thinking about the playoff rotation. And that's honestly, you know, when I was was talking to George about this, because I was candid with him about not including him in my playoff rotation. And it it puts me in a space where where I feel – I feel kind of obligated to include him in there, but it's like no disrespect to you. If Dean is playing high level basketball on both ends of the floor, it's kind of hard not to include Dean and Dean is going to eat some of his minutes. If not, it completely usurp him in terms of the playoff rotation. So it's a difficult thing to navigate. And I do not envy JB for that. Cause he's going to have to have some tough conversations. I will say, one thing that is kind of nice with this staggering of lineups is where in the past I might've thought it was blasphemy to suggest that any of that core four wasn't playing, you know, 32, 35 minutes a night. There's times where I don't even think it's necessary. Like I don't even, even in this minutes restriction period, there are games like full Mobley games where he's only logged 25 minutes where I feel like his impact has been so significant. I haven't even really noticed that other guys have eaten a lot of those minutes. And in that regard, if there was one thing I would say about the playoff rotation, a nine-man rotation seems a lot more sensical when you think about the usage that you know we've seen from the core four in the past. But if we're getting this kind of production from the bench units and from you know the second shift guys, then maybe George continues to get minutes. Maybe it will be 10 men, 10 men mixed in. And just, you know, you kind of play the hot hand and you go away from the guy who who doesn't have it going, but I will say one thing is even with Sam getting much less in the way of minutes since Darius has returned, it is great to see him just get him up still and have these nights where it's like, okay, three more three pointers. He didn't even hit 15 minutes tonight. Like those type of things are encouraging because uh, it seems like all these guys are willing to sacrifice their own, you know, personal minutes, personal stats, whatever the case may be. Um, for whoever is performing well. And I think the All-Star game is sort of a testament to that. Like just the bond between these guys, the way that Isaac advocates for Jared Allen and the way that Donovan Mitchell advocates for Sam Merrill for the three-point contest or Isaac Okoro for, you know, all defensive team recognition. Uh, I know there's the cynics in all of us who think that that's all just for show, but I think your interview with George was a perfect example of, you know, when he answered, when you talked about expectations and things and, he, and what would be considered as a success and his barometer is based on how the team performs. I think you're seeing that so much from all the guys on this roster where they truly, I believe it. I believe that they just want everyone to succeed and to win as many games as possible. And, and it, you know, it's one of those things where you look at our roster and how few guys outside of Isaac, really, there's nobody who isn't locked in going into next year, really. So I think that kind of certainty allows you to put a lot of the personal pursuits secondary. You don't have to worry about your money or your future or your role. You know the guys we have here are expected to be here next year with the only real wild card being whatever happens with Isaac and being that he's going to be a restricted free agent. If we want him, I don't think there's really any question that he will return here. So I think that's freeing in a way that allows for a kind of growth and continuity and development that a lot of teams, I mean, look at the Sixers, look mm-hmm. at what they're heading into. They have so much cap space and that's all fantastic, but they traded away one of the only guys who would have still been under contract and Jaden Springer at the deadline. Uh, they're going to be basically 
presented with the option to completely turn over a roster or just, you know, they'll probably extend a lot of the guys who are for hitting free agency. But that type of continuity, I think, really lends itself to true team development. I think we've seen a lot of that this year, team development. You've seen guys just step up. You've seen guys play more of a role than they have ever played in their life, take on and wear a lot of different hats. Donovan Mitchell especially is probably near the top of the line in that regard because he's had to switch at times between being the team's go-to scorer and the the, the, the floor general out there, um, you know, with Darius being out for such a long period of time during this season. And I think that what you've been able to, to establish in terms of continuity is really, really going to pay off. And it may make some of those tough conversations that JB may eventually have to have come the postseason a little bit more palatable for the players, considering, you know, you go to him and say, hey, maybe tonight is just not your night, but we are eventually going to need you. So stay locked in. And I feel like having guys be bought into this team aspect and not in search of personal accolades, it's wonderful. And it's it's something that's rare, in my opinion. Uh, but in saying that, I mean, we we want to see these guys get some recognition, right? I mean, we want to see, of course. you know, is is JB going to be a coach of the year contender? Is Donovan Mitchell going to be in the running for MVP? Is Karis LeVert going to be a sixth man of the year contender? Is Isaac Okoro going to get some all defensive love? There's there's a lot of different personal accolades that could be at stake, but perhaps none more so than that Donovan Mitchell MVP discussion. So I did want to ask you, um, do you consider him a top contender for the award? And if so, where would you rank him right now? Well, to me, there's four guys that are kind of out in front of the pack. I talked about this a little bit on my podcast, but one of the things I think uh, that benefits Donovan this year that we didn't have in past years is that... Um, MVP is a long shot. I would not believe Donovan Mitchell is going to win MVP. I do think all NBA first team is a lot more attainable this year because it's positionless. He, he, because if you look at, if they, if they count Luca and Shea as guards, that would have boxed him out uh, in, a, in a scenario like last year. But this year, if we go off of the assumption, take basketball references, uh, MVP tracker. Being that this is positionless, we could roughly assume that the people who they think are most likely to win MVP would also be, you know, the four or five most likely people to be on all NBA first team. And they have Jokic, Shea, Giannis, Luka. Those are the only guys with a better than 10% chance in their view of winning MVP. So if we assume all four of those guys are all NBA first team, then the next tier to me would be Kawhi Leonard, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell. And maybe, you know, a Jalen Brunson, depending on how the Knicks do in the second half. And I think to me, that's that's a grouping where I would give Jason Tatum a little bit of an edge over a Donovan Mitchell there because of the team's success uh, from a stats standpoint, from a, you know, the, how good the teams are. Those guys are all relatively in the same range. Kawhi's the ultra efficient candidate. Uh, Donovan has the the counting stats and maybe doing more with less over this injury period and the team outperforming expectations. The Knicks have continued to be good. Jalen's that blend between counting stats and efficiency. So he kind of falls somewhere between those outliers with a Donovan and a Kawhi. And then Jason Tatum, great numbers, great team. Uh, maybe he's a little bit forgotten in the sense that he seems to do this, you know, every season. Uh, but if Boston is the one seed and a convincing one seed, I think it'd be hard to keep him off of that situation. So do I think that he can be a top contender for an MVP? I think if he has a top five finish, we should consider that a win. Do I think how he, much how much narr how much does narrative go into that? Do you think well, that actually plays important. part? Narr narrative is of course important. I and I, I say this like because uh, I had this conversation. I I had a Clippers guest on, you know, when we played them, and he of course was incensed that Kawhi wasn't getting enough respect. And <laughs> and his argument was largely on advanced metrics and efficiency, which you know, Kawhi's amazing. There's I, I had no issue with the case that he was making, but I think what I said to him was, you know. Narrative does play a role. Like counting stats to me is always kind of the first thing people turn to. And then when they're close, they'll look at advanced stats like last year when you get into this debate between, you know, Embiid and Jokic. And Jokic tends to dominate in a lot of the advanced stats, whereas Joel's just a counting stat monster. And this year, obviously, had he not been hurt, he was probably far and away the front runner. But you take some of those guys there, and I think multiple things factor in counting stats, efficiency, 
team success. Those would be the big three for me. Um, and team success to a certain extent, it should benefit Donovan if it's viewed relative to expectations, because based on the way people have been talking about the Cavs on a national media standpoint, they clearly didn't respect us as a legitimate contender and some still do not. So if Donovan is able to carry this team to a top two seed and God forbid we, I mean, we run down Boston, totally different conversation we're having right now, Mac. Now I'm operating under the assumption that we're not going to do that. But if, if by some stretch of great play and luck and good fortune, the Cavaliers finish with the one seed in the East, then yes, absolutely. Donovan Mitchell has <laughs> for MVP. But if the season were to end today, I would say he's dancing anywhere between five and eight. And if he can finish with a top five showing for MVP, I would think that that's a massive win for Donovan, for all of us as Cavs fans. I wouldn't gripe if any of those first four guys I listed, Jokic, Shea, Luca, Giannis. I mean, it's tough to run. Even, even with the Mavericks being a middling team in the West, a 34-point triple-double basically is, I mean, that's going to be difficult to overcome regardless. That's a situation where the counting stats may just be so significantly overwhelming that a, a mediocre team showing would still put Luca in front of Donovan. Uh, if the Bucks continue to backslide again, you know, he's Giannis's individual numbers are just so absurd that I think, again, that's kind of hard pressed. But to me, it's the tier is, you know, Shea Jokic way out in front, then Luca and Giannis right behind them, then a clump of Kawhi, Donovan, Tatum and maybe Brunson. I think a lot of national people don't put Brunson in there. I think he should be, though, especially considering. I mean, who knows, too, with games. That's the other thing people don't necessarily consider is Donovan is on the lighter end of games played compared to a lot of these top MVP contenders. And it doesn't feel like it because Mobley and Garland have missed uh, so much time. But that will become a sort of, you know, bullet point against Donovan if it gets to the end of the season and we're comparing two candidates who are relatively the same, but Donovan's logged seven or eight less games than the other guy, uh, assuming everybody's over the 65-game threshold. Yeah, I think all of that is fair. I mean, even the most homer of Cavs fans out there have to concede that they're some of these other guys out there, and this speaks to the level of talent and depth across the league that, you know, just have cases that are ironclad or at, at the very least have a better case to the award than Donovan as as currently constructed. But I do agree with you. If they're able to somehow catch Boston, then maybe that shifts a little bit. Maybe we're talking about a top five, top three finish. Um, and I would be okay with that. I'm okay if, if he doesn't even get any recognition this season as long as the Cavs have a deep playoff run. And in that line of thought, before we close out of here, I do have to ask, because it's, it's going to be the question. You know, at least until he signs on the dotted line or requests the trade or something else happens, you know, um, what do you think it's going to take for Donovan Mitchell to resign with Cleveland? Is it a deep playoff run? Is there a specific benchmark that the Cavs have to reach in order for him to extend here? Mac, I'm going to say this. I, I obviously think we can't no show in the playoffs, but I even think a second round exit. So long as we're competitive, Donovan's best option is here. One of the things people always say, okay, let's take the two New York teams. Let's just, people don't want to acknowledge this. But if the Cavaliers are set on saying, you know what? We're not going to trade him out of fear. We're going to ride this out. We're going to believe that he's going to resign. And we're going to see this through to completion. We're not going to pull the plug early. So let's say he doesn't commit to sign an extension this summer. Let's say we say, fuck it. We'll push it all the way to the summer of 2025 and the Knicks, as much as everybody wants to talk about the Knicks, there is no world in which Jalen Brunson is going to extend or opt into that player option in 2025, because he is on one of the best deals in the NBA, making $25 million a season. He will 1000% not extend because it would be costing him a shitload of money. So he will opt out and have to be paid much more commensurate to what he's actually worth. OG Ananobi, same thing is going to happen to him this summer. He's going to have to be paid a much higher salary than what he's currently operating on. The idea that they will have leverage in terms of unused cap space, they'll have movable deals, sure. Donovan could force his way to places. But again, nobody wants to put any validity 
into the fact that he's seemingly either the best professional I've ever seen in my life or uh, the biggest liar because he's done nothing to indicate that he doesn't like his teammates, that he doesn't like what's happening here. We've handed more and more responsibility to this guy. We took, he's essentially the de facto point guard in a world where Darius Garland is out there too. And we've let him do that this year. He's creating better than he ever has before. There's what are the things that he's not going to like his role? He's the clear alpha, the team success. We're kicking ass right now. The money, he can get $60 million a season with us. The alternative, Brooklyn, the weather. Inc., they just fired their coach. Like, they're, this is a team that all these teams that he was supposedly going to walk into. Yeah, the Knicks are absolutely going to be competing with us in the Eastern Conference for a while. But this idea that they have the cap space to just lure him in, it would take us helping them. And why the fuck would we do that? Like, I don't even, like, short of Donovan Mitchell, Holding a gun to our head, which has anything you've seen in this year and a half make you believe that he's the type of professional who's going to operate that way? He would have to hate our fucking guts. And I'm have sorry. we ever seen a situation like this though? Have we ever seen somebody just you know, like you said, either he's the biggest fucking liar out there, or he's just so good at being suave and professional that it, you know he just he's so believable. It's but, insane. It's insane. Have we seen a situation like this before with anybody else? I mean, take anybody that people desire in Cleveland and people will concoct. It's not just us. I don't want to play the, oh, woe is us, Cleveland card. This is just the nature of being a, a non-marquee market or whatever you want to That's call right. it. Is that people, I mean, it is insane that we traded with over three years of control left and it started less than a season into his tenure. We blew up the bench to bring him in in the beginning of September last season. And after one failed postseason run, like what were people's expectations? We won 50 games and I get it. We disappointed in the postseason, but for that to then become, and just look at the middle of December, Mac, the moment those injuries happen, well, fuck it. You got to trade Donovan. You got to get rid of him right now. There, there is absolutely I'm never going to say there's a 0% chance Donovan could leave, but the mm -hmm. only way that's going to happen is if he goes on the record and says, I don't want to be here. And even in the Utah situation, he, he did not say he wanted to be traded. It, even when they traded Rudy Gobert, he was like, well, I guess they're trending towards blowing it up. So, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. He did not demonstrably speak out against Utah, despite the fact that they were just disassembling the roster around him. I don't believe for a second that those type of things at least will be done publicly. Now, behind the scenes, something would have to go horribly wrong. Who wants to walk away from a team doing what we're doing right now? I mean, hes you would think that Jared Allen is a sibling the way that he talks about him over this stretch. So I, I just don't buy it. And I think the national media will never be satiated until he signs on that dotted line. And I do dread what will happen if he opts not to extend this summer, but I am full on ego wise and just analytically speaking pot committed to saying, fuck it, make him walk away. Just ride out the last year. Do not trade him at the trade deadline, whether he signs an extension or not, because you find me a situation where he can walk into a $300 million contract in cap space. Like, yeah, I get the suggestion that, We'll well, you'll have to trade him. He'll say that he's going to go elsewhere. Well, make him, make him then, because I just don't believe it's realistic, and I don't believe he's unhappy here. I like I, all things being equal, maybe he would like to be in New York, but if he could be with this team and winning and beloved by the fan base, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that it's fair to say that he's not happy here. And people treat it like it's a black and white thing. It's like happy or unhappy. When in all reality, every one of us who's gone through like a contract negotiation or considering our next job has always waited against just because I leave a job doesn't always mean I was unhappy in that. I just came to the conclusion that, okay, ultimately the positives of this new position were enough to lure me away. I'm sorry, the positives of whatever the new position would have to be being greater than a, a Cavs team that's just destroying people a young core of great players around him, a much deeper bench, a whole nother summer with another first round draft pick with another exception we can add in. Plus whatever development you get from Amani Bates and Craig Porter Jr. Good luck. If you can outdo that, I tip your hat. We did our best. 
it played out that way, but I think it's way overstated. And to again, see on first take, Steve and I being like, well, it's, you know, he's gone. He's going to New York. I just want to fucking punch the TV screen. Uh, (laughs) Support it. Show your work. Show your work. Why? I mean, you look at the situation that we have here in Cleveland and it's hard to beat. You know, I mean, you have an up and coming cast who has not even reached their primes yet. You have the fact that we can offer him a shit ton of money. Uh, you know, you have a general office or, you know, a front office that's going to be able to continue to do what they must to put competitive players around you and support you in what you want to do. And so I, I feel like Donovan, he's going to be hard pressed to find a better option. And so. I too believe that the best course of action is just to remain patient and let him make his decision, you know, ride out the storm in the event that you have to eventually move off of him. You know, we're going to be okay. I feel okay. I I feel like this team either way is going to be fine. Obviously I would love to retain the services of Donovan Mitchell, but uh, I'm not, I'm just not seeing what some of these people are seeing out here in reference to him jumping ship. I just don't get it because it just comes back to the situation that we have here. I I feel like Evan Mobley has not reached his apex. Obviously Darius Garland is still trending upwards. Jared Allen is playing the best fucking basketball of his career. You know, you got, and you have some other young pieces around you that should continue to thrive as well. And I just, I do not think that Donovan is going to find a better scenario. And considering what else is happening around the league, you know, New York, like you mentioned, doing what they're doing. Miami, I guess. I don't know what the hell they're doing, what direction they're heading in. Maybe that's a potential suitor, but I just don't see it. And I feel like people just, if more people had that mindset, I feel like we'd be just a much more chill fan base. But obviously... I get being traumatized, though. Like, obviously, with what happened with LeBron and just the way that Cleveland fans have been conditioned to be disappointed, I understand it to some degree. But in this case, I think so much of what's happening here, the national coverage, or at least the valid national coverage, is going to lag behind. Uh, What I do think is encouraging is that the Cavaliers are playing well enough that they now have had three national games added in March. So we'll get a bigger profile to play against boston minnesota there's a brooklyn game that will all be on national television those are the types of things that can go a long way to you know taking some of those people who are just you know they're entrenched they're in the well new york beat them i don't believe anything i don't believe anything Uh, (laughs) turning it around you know and and those are the things that i i do think will help I, i i truly believe i just have faith that what we're seeing here is way more sustainable than what we had last year and I'm willing to play it out. I'm willing to have my heart ripped out. Quite frankly, I, I'm one of those people who I do not want to concede on this point. I do not want to let fear dictate what the Cavaliers do. And I think they've been so good at staying the course when it comes to maybe, you know, they, they hear it all the time. It's a very impatient fan base. Uh, but Kobe has been so good at leaning into consistency and continuity and not making rash decisions. If you would talk to me after that Portland game, I was despondent about the coaching. I was like, oh, maybe I'm off JB. Maybe I'm finally off JB. And then <laughs> see what happened. Now he could win coach of the year for fuck's sake. He should have been the all-star game coach. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That being said, it's like, okay, let's ride this out. Don't get fixated on the side quests, the Darius Garland stats and the, you know, even having Mobley hitting three pointers. It's great. But that's not the be-all, end-all. It's just how the unit is performing as a whole. So if the only thing that matters to these people is what happens in the postseason, then foot to the floor, let's push to the postseason and just have this team healthy, ready to go, with as big of a sample, playing the way that we want them to play when they get there. Bob Schmidt, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I said the record straight here. I really wish more people shared that mindset man it's just maybe it's just something that's ingrained in cleveland fans in general we we know the long sports history here it could be miserable at times but uh i feel like we're trending upward and we need to have a little bit more faith in the future of this franchise and and donovan well, mitchell putting one other paper. thing worth pointing out the philadelphia game we won that was without donovan mitchell that was a yeah. 30 per four, point performance from darius garland so it's even in a situation where we get our hearts ripped out. All is not lost. 
Uh, there's still something that would have to come back. I don't want to think about that outcome or possibility now because I don't really think it's a very realistic one. Uh, but but even if it gets to that point, it's it's not the end of the world. No. There's still a, a great group of talent here, and there's always benefits that come from change. Not always the ones you're expecting or that you plan for, but that's that's a problem for future Cavs fans, future angry Cavs fans. Just put that off for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a that's a future problem. And with that being said, as I always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out, you know how you can. It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to it's cavalier53 at gmail.com, and I will send you an invite. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I, I always enjoy the ranting and raving whenever yeah, I can yeah. get you on. I save up what I want to say in your comments for the actual <laughs> podcast appearance. Uh, you're I love fighting it, the war there on Twitter, and I'm, I'm fighting the war on your podcast right now. So <laughs> you, you have to sometimes. These people can be just... Like you said, insatiable in regards to their their needs and their wants in regards to Cleveland exercising hey, their playoff demons. The fact they care that much is the is the great thing. It's a great great uh, passionate fan base, and I appreciate you letting me talk to yours. Indeed, thanks again, Bob. Go Cavs. Go Cavs.